I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Joining us on the podcast once again tonight, the host of the Monday Match Analysis, the host of 3A Tennis Show, my eyebrowed nemesis, your crack rackets returning champion, Gil Gross. Gil, welcome back to the show, my friend. You have officially surpassed me in Twitter followers. I don't think I'm catching up anytime soon, so you can hear the resignation in my voice. Nevertheless, (laughs) it is still a pleasure to have you. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. It's, um, you know, you got to fight like Murray. Would Murray give up? <laughs> Two words for you, my friend. YouTube algorithm. That's all I have to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you're just killing me on it. But no, again, I appreciate the fact I, I say this to you all of the time. You know, I don't mind stealing your takes, so I do try to listen to your show to hear someone else's perspective. And I know I speak for all of the Monday Match Analysis fans out there, all of the three attendance show fans that you guys aren't quite going daily, but essentially every other day on on three and you are going daily on MMA. How's the daily podcast grind? It's contagious, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you, you have inspired many. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you got it. You got to do it every day. You know, the podcast doesn't do itself, does it? Uh, but but I'm enjoying it. I would say you are my Charlie Weiss. Jeff Sackman is my Romeo Cornell and I'm the Bill Belichick coaching tree. I would say that's probably a fair assessment of the inspiration uh, of this everyday podcast grind. That's the comparison I would make. But no, again, we appreciate the fact that you are doing that. Certainly this tennis, it, or this 2021 Wimbledon, trying. Uh, we are all trying to give it the coverage it deserves. And you look at day four before we get into any specific results. And by the way, in advance, I meant to tell you this before the podcast started. It'll be better to hear your live reaction. There will be a manscape ad read at some point midway through this podcast where you're sticking in for this read just so you know Gil so we're at that point now I hope I stick it in probably not the best phrase to use when we're talking manscaping but nevertheless be on the lookout for that anyways as we get into our day three coverage of this 2021 Wimbledon It felt like today was the day that the dam really broke. It felt like today was the day that we entered that familiar territory. You look on the women's side today, seven seeds knocked off, three of them in the top ten. You look on the men's side, five seeds knocked off. Uh, I, I think the context on the men's side will make sense in the greater scheme of what's going down right now on the men's tour. But let's just start there. Your thoughts on the first three days, your thoughts on this day. Felt like the first day we saw the upsets really roll in. There have been a lot of upsets, I think, especially for for Wimbledon, which in my mind, I thought that there were more upsets at Wimbledon. But then I was reading, um, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting his name, Calvin, Sean, no, Sean Calvert. I was reading a, a preview of his that was breaking down the upset percentages at Wimbledon. And 
like it, from a betting perspective, it's like 22% in the first round, which is really low and it's low in the second round too. Uh, so I, I actually feel it's probably been an abnormal year with all of the, the surprises that we've seen. Yeah. It, when you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, the context of the upsets will start on the women's side, top 10 seeds. I think Serena getting knocked off. It was a fluke incident. She was nursing an injury, certainly, but, you know, we talked about it beforehand off mic. Certainly, we talked about it on these Cracked Rackets podcast. Was Serena the lock, the top five contender uh, that she has been in years past? I don't think it's fair to say she was entering this event. Outside of that, Kennan losing to Brangle, we'll talk about it a little bit later. That's shocking. Kvitova losing her first round match to Sloane Stevens. Sloane is playing really, really well of late. I tweeted it out earlier. Thirteen and five now, since uh, thirteen and six, excuse me, since the clay court season started. But you know, again, that was surprising. Outside of that, like we Andrescu had one career win on grass coming into this event, losing two and one, surprising. That she lost first round to Alize Cornet. I don't think that's shocking. You look elsewhere, the seeds that have been knocked off. Burton's losing to Kostyuk. She was the underdog, according to odds makers. Pagula, three sets to Samsonova. Samsonova won a title in the warm-up to this event. You know, Martic and Kudermatova, three sets to Gulabic, who's been on fire. Alexandrova losing to Osorio Serrano. Those are all bottom 20 seeds. Like, I... I I really think today, again, the the Kenin, Kvitova, and then maybe Kanteve from Vandrusova, those are the only three that have really stood out to me that have been like, well, like that I did not see coming. Kvitova and Kanteve were, were two women who I thought would go really deep in the tournament, and Serena, but we're brushing that aside uh, because of the, the fluky nature. But outside of that, I absolutely agree with you. There have been a lot of scenarios, and I think that's a— uh, also a product of just the the rankings and how evenly distributed the points are um, that, that yeah, a lot of the upsets have felt like, okay, we could have seen that coming. Let's play a fun game. What is Sloan Stevens ranked right now? Let's see if you can guess this. Um, I think she's ranked, I think she's ranked like 40. I'm going to, I'm going to go with 47. Number 69 right now. Hey, great shot. But, I mean, that speaks to the fact, you know, she makes round of 16 at the French Open. She makes third round here. But she was defending 2019 Wimbledon third round points. So when I see that number, her success of late, that feels a little low. But, again, that speaks to, I'm glad you bring it up, the ranking scenarios and the defending of points and the rules still in place. Things do get a little bit funky. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's the women's side. On the men's side... Again, with context being king, are any of these upsets surprising to you thus far? Tsitsipas to Tiafo, that might be the one that stands out. We'll get back to that in a second. But, like, Query coming off of a final in the warm-up event, always dangerous on this surface. He beats Pablo Carreno Busta. I don't think that's that shocking. Not Thompson over— Yeah, just throw in the comments, please. I apologize. I'm about, you, you sense the monologue coming. I always appreciate <laughs> that. That's why you're a returning champion here. Kasparud, five sets. Jordan Thompson. That it went five sets. You know, that he lost, I don't think is surprising, especially that it went five sets, right? Early sample— nope. uh, Small sample size, not surprising. Demon Hours, like, man— the world that he draws Sebastian Corda, who is a top 30 player in level right now, who is playing exceptional tennis for uh, set loss for him in round number one. I think that's a draw. Like Those are two players who are capable if the draw broke right of making the round of 16 context being king. I don't think that was an upset. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It's just a, a brutal draw for uh, for ADM. Yeah, Fucevic over Sinner. That's every oh. Grand Slam since 2019. Uh, yep. The Karatsev, Shardy. Surprised. Li- surprised but not shocked, right, because of the lack of Karatsev sample size? Yes, uh, I was I was more surprised when Karatsev lost to Cole Schreiber at the French. Absolutely. Everything we said about Ugo apply or everything about we said about Demon Hour applies to Ugo, right? It's like, well, I drew Kyrgios, right. so that sucks. Um I mean, we'll get to this momentarily, but if I'm Nicholas Basilashvili, who's got a lot of shit going on in his life, and we've talked about it before, so we don't have to have that conversation again. But if I, if he's just watching today's Oscar Ota match, he's like, how did I lose to Andy Murray? Like, that, I'm screaming at the television if I'm Nicholas Basilashvili. How he loses to this version of Andy Murray. Nevertheless, context being king, not a surprising loss, is it? No, uh, I thought that Murray would do exactly what he did, which was basically junk it up, use his court craft, not hit the ball to Basilashvili in ways that he wants to be hit to, and just kind of squeak it out, and that's what he did. Can you imagine being the 24th seed at Wimbledon and losing to a boys' 12s game plan? Like, how frustrating that would be. I'd be like, ugh, I'd... I just feel like, oh my god, I just, after the match, I also, I said this on a previous podcast, if I had a time machine, obviously, 1930, Germans, Hitler, stop it, please, but after I do all of the serious stuff, I'd go to 2012 Andy Murray, I'd be like, hey, I need to borrow you for three hours, and I would show him the film of 2021 Andy Murray, just to hear his reaction to, like, how he plays, and he'd just be like, <laughs> like he'd just be like, how did this happen? Like, where did I go wrong? And I think he'd be like, oh, nice, I still have hair, but beyond that, like, I, it's... Whatever, we'll get to the Murray part in it. I mean, we'll get there in a second. But any, anything to add to that, I suppose? No. Let's let, <laughs> that's a hilarious thought. And, you know, here's what I'll say to that. You kind of already get that. Yeah. Like, I feel like Andy Murray is still kind of 2012 Andy Murray on the court. <laughs> and he's like, why have you missed a backhand? What are you doing? <laughs> Well, where I disagree is, like, 2012 Andy Murray would not have allowed himself to hit this many slices. It just wouldn't have happened. And this version of him, just the slices. It's just like, I saw a tweet. I I called him out before. My guy, Owen, um, who was like, oh, why isn't Murray hitting more backhands out of the corners? It's like, he just can't. He is physically incapable of hitting the backhand out of the corner the way he used to. And I would just, and you can hear, to your point, you hear the monologue to his box. He is talking, he's like, I should be hitting that backhand. And it's like, well, you can't, it's just, it's, it's awesome. It makes the viewing experience that much more enjoyable. I love it. I love the drama of uh, the Andy Murray monologue. If you had a time machine, what are you doing first? Um, I'm, can I, I don't know. This is in the outline. I'm I'm betting sports and finding <laughs> fun stuff to do with my winnings. You're going back, and uh, I don't know what day Darren Ravel founded his Twitter, but you go the day before, and you just steal all the shticks, and you're just like, I'm in. Um, no, I'm trying to think. I, <laughs> I have some stupid ones. You go back to 2011 just so you can be called the tennis podcast just for the uh, – the metrics dude, for the data stuff dude that's fantastic that's good stuff by you and like if if you if you're the first person to 
get into like podcasts, nah. your pod is going to be huge. Huh. Like all, like not to plug other pods. It doesn't matter. Uh, Joe Rogan, <laughs> Bill Simmons. Uh, I guess I, I think the tennis podcast in tennis, like they were all so early. Like they made podcasts when everyone was like, what's a podcast. And that's why they're massive. Okay. I would also go back to 12 year old me and I'd be like, dude, leg day. Just trust me. You can't jump. Like, you are the stereotype of Jews can't jump. Like, please, just when you're 11, 12 years old, start doing squats, start doing wall sits, build that power because explosion might take you further in your tennis game. Anyways, yes, tangents aside, let's get into our coverage of day four. Oh, the other upsets, by the way, Opelka. Uh, Dominic Kofor just has his number. Isner, five sets today mm-hmm. to Nishioka. We'll talk about it. Davidovich Fokina losing to Kudla in five. Not an upset, but that's where we're at after day three. How did we get there specifically? Let's start with a non-upset, but a match all of us were watching. Andy Murray, center court once again, taking on Oscar Ota. Now, it's worth noting Ota coming off of a five-set victory in his first-round match over former Texas A&M All-American Arthur Rinderneck, one of those rare fifth-set tiebreakers. He wins 13-12 to advance in the fifth over Rinderneck. That match finished yesterday. Murray did have the full day off, but... You look at who appeared to be the fresher of the two through the four sets, uh, first four sets, you'd probably, or three sets, first half of this match, you'd probably argue Oscar Ota, and before they close that roof, Murray, 6-3, 3-1 lead, Ota comes back to win six out of the next seven, he takes a 6-4 second set, 6-4 uh, third set as well, then they close the roof. And after they did that, it was a different Andy Murray. He was engaging the crowd, the energy level at the utmost. He was being more aggressive, hitting through those ground strokes more frequently. He takes sets four and five, six, four, six, two to cap off a uh, five-set win. There's the word I was looking for. The fun stat that I was balancing in my head, they announced this uh, during the match. The lowest-ranked player Andy Murray has ever lost to at Wimbledon was the 28th-ranked player in the world. That's crazy. That's like... Put that stat on a t-shirt, please, and let's print that out And when we're making the case for why it was a Big Four era and why the Big Four era is separate from the Big Three era, and they're two different discussions. Anyways, your reaction, Gil, to Andy Murray's level, to him getting through this match, the adjustments he made. We've gotten to see this a, a few times since Murray's hip resurfacing, where he's kind of has the world's attention, and he's battling someone who he honestly shouldn't be battling, but it's still so much fun to watch him battle because he is a warrior in every sense of the word. And some matches I, I have in mind, the the Marius Chopel match in DC at the City Open, which was like at two in the morning. So maybe the whole world wasn't watching, but <laughs> but that was very early on in, in his comeback and he was a wreck physically. That was 2019, yeah? That Copel match? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then he was just sobbing for like 10 minutes afterwards because I just think it was so hard for him to actually get through that. Uh, then Nishioka last year at the U.S. Open. Again, like a great match, and Murray comes through. This was another one of those, but it was extra special because it was Wimbledon center court, and there's really very little in tennis quite like Murray on Wimbledon center court in a flat-out war. 
Yeah. Well, get, I have you here so we can get into one of my pet peeves. One of my pet peeves, Gil, uh, that's the people don't talk enough about, but one of my pet mm-hmm. peeves is that when you're taking a free shot at a commentator on tennis Twitter, all I ask is that you also, in your reply, say what you would have said in that instance instead because it's very easy to take pot shots. But tell me what you would be doing because don't take the shot if you don't, uh, you know, if you can't have the words to back it up as well. But with that in mind, I'm not taking a shot. I am praising the commentator here because I think there was an unexpected moment of honesty from Tim Hedman when he was commentating this match. It was midway through that third set, or maybe it was after. After the third set, as they were starting the fourth, when he goes, look, it's it's tough to watch this version of Andy Murray, particularly when you're a guy like Hedman who saw from the start through the prime to now this version of him. It He can't change direction the way he used to. The fact that whenever a ball is hit behind him, he does a full circle to turn around instead of just stopping, planting on the left foot and then, you know, pushing off of it to now explode the other direction if that's the way he's going other foot etc uh murray can't do that he has to play slice more frequently he has to muck things up throw garbage at ota that said there are some little things that are identical to the prime andy murray he's still as good of a returner as you're going to find and the difference between him and djokovic is that murray takes that return inside the baseline he takes it early he takes it on the short hop it's particularly impressive still when he does it on the backhand wing, he can go big cross, big down the line. Again, the slices are more part of, uh, a part of the repertoire than they used to be, but on this surface, uh, it plays well. And he does have good hands. He does have good feel. He is a comfortable volleyer. He missed that atrocious overhead to get the game back to deuce 5-3 uh, third set. But, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's an outlier. That's not the usual case for Murray. And I just thought, you know, A— when he's playing plus one, he's still effective on his first serve, and you look in this match, he's able, I believe, to win over 70% of his first serve points. You look, you know, part B, he's still able to be aggressive on second serve returns. That's been enough in the first two matches, but again, it was Basilashvili and Ota in rounds one and two. Shapovalov's a completely different monster. Yeah, most likely. Um, I, I would agree with all that. Uh you know, Ota murdered Murray's second serve consistently. And it's just, it was really frustrating for me to watch Grusky because Murray didn't hit a single double fault in this four set match. And I know this is nothing new, but I'm definitely curious your perspective as someone who's watched Andy Murray even closer than your average plugged in tennis fan. Like, has he never just went bigger on the second? Like, you're not ever double faulting. But, you know, the, the dude's the dude's just abusing your second serve. And I understand, you know, a younger version of Murray would have been able to maybe defend a little bit behind that second serve and claw, you know, claws way back in the point. But this Murray, like you need to be neutral or offensive, like you're not the same defensive player. So hit the second serve bigger. It's an excellent theory. It's a take. I think that Andy Murray uh Andy Murray scientists have suggested for generations and as you know I minored in college in Andy Murray history and <laughs> yes I 
I, I think it absolutely is a good solution. Now, the problem is Andy Murray's a perfectionist. Anyone who's watched him has known that. That's why he's always yelling at his box. He doesn't want to commit unforced errors. That's the sin above all sins, is to give away a free point, to not make your opponent earn it uh, on the court. And certainly mm-hmm. in a match against Oscar Oda, you don't want to give him anything for free because he's going to be taking big cuts. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to give you unforced errors on his own. Why give him anything to work with on the side? But this version of Andy Murray should probably be going after the second serve a little bit more. And, you know, again, what's the difference between him healthy and him now? Back in 2012, 2013, when he's playing these grass court matches, if he's stretched to the outer third, he's not slicing that ball. He's hitting that ball definitively down the line, cross court, and then he's able to push off his foot still and recover to hit a second passing shot if need be. Nowadays, he has to slow down as he's hitting the passing shot because if he doesn't, he's not going to be able to recover. And because he's slowing down, he often has to hit that slice so that he gives himself a chance to make a second passing shot. Now, in sets four and five, he did a much better job of hitting through the ball at the baseline, of taking the ball early. Uh, Again, that first serve, he wins 74% of his first serve points. He made a high percentage of them in sets four and five and just, you know, played aggressive tennis and he engaged the crowd. Can we just talk about that for a moment? If I was Andy Murray, I'd have probably been doing that from the start. Why he was way smarter about it than I would have been is because the moment the roof closed, that was a different match, right, Gil? And to get the crowd involved with that energy, you're now locked in that stadium. I'm not saying it shook Ota, but it pushed Murray over the finish line. It totally pushed Murray. I don't think Murray wins this match if they're, you know, if God forbid there was no fans at Wimbledon. If it's in Holland. I just don't. Sure. Yes. I don't think he, I don't think he wins it. I just, you know, he needed, he needed a boost and the energy that he played with in the fourth and the fifth sets, you know, it was, it was a wave and it was a combination of how he was engaging the crowd. And of course, you know, it is Andy Murray. So even if Murray isn't engaging the crowd, the crowd is going to engage him. And I I agree with what, what you're saying about Murray just being more aggressive off the ground. And I think accelerating more on his forehand and trying to do a lot more damage off of both wings, really, and and that making all the difference. And maybe it also helped that the conditions got quicker when they closed the roof. No, that is the big question as well. I do think that helped him because it kept things simpler, and he was able to time that first serve a little bit better. And, you know, again, just indoor conditions, they're a little bit more stable. That always helps as you get older. Again, I I do want to say on the Ota side, it's a stark reminder challenger level not far off from what we're seeing at the top of the game now I'm not saying Andy Murray right now is at the top of the game but what I am saying is Oscar Ota a guy who has played on the challenger circuit for the majority of his last 52 weeks uh, showed a really high level today but now Murray advances third round Shapovalov who got the withdrawal today from Andujar what are you thinking of Murray's chances what have you thought you know again your final thoughts on his performance through the first two rounds yeah, I I mean, he's got to play a lot better. The concern is this. I think, like, for Murray and Federer, it's been the same thing. It's it's not that they can't play at, at a high level, or it's not that they're not playing at a high level. It's that they're going through stretches of maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half, where they're so far below how they need to play. And 
you you can't really get away with that against someone the quality of Shapovalov because you know if if you if you play badly for an hour and a half, there's no guarantee that you're going to get the better of the play once you're back to playing your level. Like you need to be your your confidence and your level can't be shaken that easily. That along with uh, the physical concerns, and I think really highly of Shapovalov right now at this tournament, unless he faces a a really big server, which Murray isn't really. So I, I favor Shapovalov, but I also understand that I think Murray, again, can get crafty, can use a lot of drop shot, use a lot of slice, and and do some things when it comes to moving the ball around the court that can bother Shapovalov. Ultimately, I like the Canadian. That's such an excellent point. For guys like Murray and Federer, the mind is working for all three, three and a half, four hours they're on court. It's that the body will fail them for half of that time, and they're not able to produce the sort of shots they want to to make things a little bit easier for themselves. Or they go for that shot, and they just miss it half an inch wide, or the ball's shanked because the timing's half a second off. And, you know, again, the game plans for Murray, his execution of those game plans, they have been rock solid through these first two matches. But the athleticism, the heaviness of the Shapovalov ball, and, you know, just that moment for him and the physical toll that has been put on Murray's body through these first two matches, you have to favor Shapovalov entering round three. But again, to have Murray back on the Wimbledon grounds, to see him competing, to see the crowds embrace him, uh, it's what makes tennis special. Feels like we have returned things to normal. And as you mentioned, it is great to have a Wimbledon crowd once again. But all right, we've talked about a match now with flawless tactics and, you know, again, precision, accuracy being the key to the match. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is hard true. The world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Let's flip gears here and talk about perhaps the most exciting match because of the discrepancies we saw in level throughout the course of it. The uh, high, uh, what, what's the high variety, high I'm, I'm variance, there's the word I'm looking for uh, throughout the course of it. Number two seed, Arena Sabalenka. Still in pursuit of her first slam quarterfinal, she is the number two seed in this event, faced a home crowd favorite in the UK's Katie Bolter. 
Ultimately, Sabalenka able to advance 4-6, 6-3, 6-3. There was a long deuce game for Sabalenka in that third set that she was able to hold. There was an injury timeout for Bolter, I believe 2-1 in that third set. Legitimate injury timeout, I'm not trying to question it, but Sabalenka had just gotten the break. It clearly shook her rhythm. Bolter breaks back. Sabalenka able to get that break back right away. Tons of drama in this match. Tons of, again... Big winners, unforced errors, unreturnable serves, unexplainable drop shots end up in the net for (laughs) Sabalenka. It's half the fun of the Sabalenka experience. You know, Gil, that there's always room for uh, for you on this bandwagon if you would like to join. Curious what you thought of the number two seed's performance. Well, her her serve really bailed her out in a big way in the third set because she she gets the break at two-all and then consolidates it, unlike the the previous time she broke serve and just handed it right back like a gift right away. That next game at 3-2, Sabalenka consolidates the break without having to hit a single ground stroke. So just to add to your point, that 2-1 game, and that was after the injury timeout third set, Sabalenka got broken at love, and I don't think she made a first ball. Like the unforced errors were atrocious, (laughs) Gil. Right. So then, good thing, you know, good thing the serve was there because she didn't have to hit a first ball <laughs> exactly. at 3-2. At it took one minute, nine seconds. So there's that all-important consolidation, right? And then at 4-3, that's the game you were, uh, you've you already alluded to, and I think it's the best game we've seen all tournament long. It was absolutely electric. Uh, and if you just look at how many free points she got in this game, two on break point, an ace on, on the first add-out, um, or no, 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 a service winner on the first add out, an ace on the second add out, um, another service winner on the third add out, and then a service winner on the game point to to hold ultimately. Like it, it was absolutely the serve coming through because it seemed like every time Katie Bolter actually landed her return, she won the point. Yeah, no, I, I've said it before, so listeners are probably getting sick of hearing it, but Sabalenka now 48 and 15 in her last 52. She's won over 75% of her matches in that stretch. She's won a couple of big titles. She's earned plenty of top 10 wins. She's into the top five for the first time in her career. You look uh, for her 13 of those 15 losses, Gil, have come in three sets. And that just continues to point to the fact for Arena Sabalenka. There are going to be at least 20 minutes in every match where she just looks untouchable. And in this match, that was the second set. After she lost that first set, and that first set featured the high variance, the multiple errors, the slapped first balls long, the missed returns, over-aggressive, you miss them long, or the confounding drop shots or slices where you're like, I don't get why you went for that there when the rally ball would have done. That happens in every match as well. She always rebounds from it, or sometimes she starts out hot and then the level may drop off, but there's always going to be 30 minutes that are just on Arena Sabalenka's terms. That's guaranteed, and that is why I continue to put her in that elite category. She's a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. It's just a fact that serve is amongst the elite of the elite. She's one of four players, Sviantek, Muguruza, her and Onjabur, top 15 club, top 15 in both hold and break percentage. When it looks good, it looks exceptional. And I, 
Again, I'm not going to make the sweeping statement. I'm not going to go Matt Zemeck on you and say winning ugly here. Maybe that's exactly what she needed to win this Wimbledon. But it is refreshing, Gil, to see her win ugly. It's nice, but you got to do it a bunch of times, obviously. Or not. She could just play her best tennis for five more matches and win the damn event. She doesn't really do that, though, because she she cancels it out with ugly tennis for a bit. Uh, Ultimately, I don't know. I see a lot of people who have been saying, like, okay, well, like, there's the win she needs. Like, can this spur on the run? It's like, I I don't know how much I can, like, read into this and overthink this. Like, she won her second round match. That's good. Bolter played well. Sabalenka got through it. That's good. Now she's in the third round. But I'm just having trouble... I'm really having trouble assuming that all of Sabalenka's struggles in majors are purely coincidental and have nothing to do with the very unique and distinct way that she plays. And I, I'm, I'd be so happy to be wrong about this because, first of all, I do love watching her. I think a lot of people do, and I, I totally love watching her. And, you know, I, I would like to see her do well, but at least in in a major, I don't want to, I want to qualify that, but I just, I have trouble looking at all of this, all of these results in in the way she plays and saying like, you know, it's just a matter of time. She can keep doing exactly what she's doing and eventually she'll get the results she's looking for. Well, I do think it's, again, I've had this discussion before. I apologize listeners, but it's better to need to rein it in, right? To be like, okay, your best is good enough. And she has answered the question, her best is good enough to do it. It's cutting out the less than good stuff. And you look at her draw, she's got Maria Camilla Osorio Serrano, the talented former world junior number one, I want to say 19-year-old Colombian now who knocked off Alexandrova today to get to the round of 16. Osorio Serrano competes as well as anyone, and she's going to find solutions. She'll mix in some slice, but I just wonder someone that young handling that overwhelming top-tier power of Sabalenka. I think that's a great matchup for her. And then, you know, the power tennis she would play fourth round. Rogers right now up a set 7-5 on Sakari, but even if it is Sakari or Rabakina in that section as well, there's a lot of power in that section of the draw, and Sabalenka can match all of it. So I do think this is a good opportunity for her. And then just again, what does Rabakina really look like when pressured on a grass court? What does Sakari really look like when pressured on a grass court? We don't know the answer to those questions, Gil. So I do think this is an open draw for her. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because Rabakina, she packs a punch as well. She's Um, good. Uh, She is power tennis country club. She's in. Or, uh, yeah, so well, this, first of all, I'm, I'm putting you in, right, congratulations, you're now a board member. You've been inducted. You didn't have to do anything, <laughs> but but just be available. Um, for Elena Rabakina, I, I think we give her weekend privileges and she's able to dine in the country club whenever she wants because that serve, her plus one, it's on her terms. Like she goes for broke and there's a decisiveness about her, but also a poise to it where, yes, she's got that fire, but it's not that overwhelming, uncontrolled fire, perhaps, that sometimes a Sabalenka's is. She's awesome. Yeah, spot on. It's effortless. It's pure. Uh, I mean, adding to that aesthetic, because I'm talking about technique, but I don't I don't think she grunts 
So yeah. <laughs> that's she's the unique like, one. That much power to come out of someone that calm, it's scary. I'm like, what am I missing here? Like, where does this come from? Other than obviously outstanding size, but like, where does that come from? That just the, the shotgun. Yeah, it's very like, it's a very like fluent, pure technique where, yeah, it, yeah it's, she, She's a great ball striker. I'm interested, what kind of opponent do you think bothers Sabalenka more? Someone who's going to run down a lot of balls and play a lot of defense or someone who's actually going to try to crack the ball and really put Sabalenka on the defensive? At this stage, Sakari. There's no doubt in my mind because Sakari will just make a million balls and force Sabalenka to think about it. With Rabakina, with Rodgers, that's thoughtless tennis. Not thoughtless, but that's instinct tennis. That's, all right, see ball big, hit ball big, because if I don't, she is going to, and I just have to be aggressive. You know the speed you have to play with. With Sakari... You gotta. You just have to lock in. And obviously for Sabalenka, over the course of two and a half hours, there's going to be at least 20 minutes where sh- things go awry. We'll say it kindly. And so I think soccer is the toughest matchup. What were your thoughts? So- sounds good to me. I, I, <laughs> yeah. You know, again, <laughs> I minored in soccer and uh, Sabalenka studies as yeah. well. It's true. That no, was no, my but other. it it makes sense. You know because. If if Sabalenka is being forced to hit extra shots, the likelihood that she is going to miss and you know not able to to finish because of how uh, you know I think I I honestly think sometimes she struggles in that area and just you know sometimes she's finishing really effortlessly and then sometimes she's losing from winning positions at a really high rate. So that player who can make her hit extra balls. I think that's the player who's going to have the best chance of beating her. Especially at that stage with a quarterfinal berth on the line. Like, I, all of those yes. pressures amplified that much. I would agree with you. But again, for Arena Sabalenka, she's able to get through this one. Good performance from Bolter. The serve looked good. Again, uh, she put out, she embraced the crowd. It was fantastic energy. There was just a smile on her face from start to finish. And it just it reminds you why it is so important to have a crowd at these majors. Have them embrace their home country men and women uh but again Sabalenka able to advance in three sets one last match I want to break down at in depth before we kind of rapid fire through the rest of the day's results Gil is a match that started on day two finished on day three but it's it's something I teased to our listeners yesterday and I want to talk about it with you now Kyrgios over Umber, and you know the match finished yesterday, three all, fifth set. Ultimately, Nick Kyrgios able to win nine seven in the fifth set today. We don't have to talk too much about the tennis, although I am curious to hear your takes on both of these players. But yesterday, I posited a theory that there are two types of people: there are people who enjoy watching Nick Kyrgios play tennis, and there are liars because you watch Nick Kyrgios play. I don't know how you don't enjoy the experience. His engagement with the crowd, the fact that someone out there is like, serve tea, and he literally goes, okay, and he does it, <laughs> and it works. And it's just like, that's what tennis so frequently is missing. And yes, there's some Michigas that goes along with it, complaining about the surface speed, make grass grass, and yada, 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 and some of the antics. But there was also a respect level for for Umber that Kyrgios clearly holds that made the, you know, a lot of those antics. I don't think Kyrgios was, wanted to do that out of respect to Ugo and also the fact that he had to lock in because if he didn't, Ugo was going to take advantage of it. This was Kyrgios at his finest. 
And it just reminds you, like, what do we have to do to get this guy playing every week? Do we have to up the appearance fees? Because tennis is a better place when he's in the draw. Hmm. What do what do we need to do? I don't. Maybe uh, I don't know. Look, tennis is no Call of Duty. Like, yeah, maybe we just <laughs> need to look ourselves in the mirror. No, uh, <laughs> I. I mean, look, he was. I think the the Australians are in a really tough position. Remain in a really tough position because their border is closed. So, mm-hmm. like, when when they leave the country, they're leaving the country. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a it's a commitment. Uh, but man, I like how talented is this guy? Um, who he hadn't played since February 12th, 12th. Uh, who can, can anyone do that? Like how many players in well, the, in the uh, world could have uh, done this? No, I'm really happy you bring this up because I have another unplanned game for you. And it's how many players in the top 100, if you gave Nick Kyrgios's serve would be a top, we'll say, well, top 30 player, top 25. Like if I gave Radu Elbot, Nick Kyrgios is served. <laughs> he's top 25, right? Yeah, I don't think he's much past top 25, but but yes. If I gave Jordan Thompson Nick Kyrgios is served, he's top 25. Yeah, that's a good player because, yeah. I mean, yeah, Jordan Thompson makes every ball and runs a lot. So if Here's you, the yeah. best example. If I gave Halmi freaking Munar Nick Kyrgios is served, I could argue that's a top 10 player. Yeah, uh, I look. Okay, okay. Let me, let me. I'll let you develop the point. Go on. So, no, yes, no, no, I agree. no. The, the point is to say, yeah, the guy's freaking talented. It's unbelievable. Like, I was having this conversation with some players who were kind enough to respond to my text. I was like, please, if I gave you Nick Kyrgios's serve, would you be top 30 right now? And not that they were being cocky, but a lot of them were like, yes, I would be. That serve is ridiculous. It allows him to take chances and be aggressive and just be creative. And it gives you the freedom of knowing, well, it's okay. I'm going to hit two aces in the next game anyway. So I just got to find two points in another fashion. (laughs) And it's just like, he is a special ball striker as well. His ability to take that backhand early. It's a condensed backswing. The forehand honestly looks a little different. But, like, when he turns into it, he can still rip it 120 cross court down the line. Doesn't matter. He's comfortable moving forward. He has hands. Yes, at times uh, he'll, he'll you know, produce some errors because of the chances he's taking. But, like, he was locked in in this Umber match from start to finish. And let's be clear, Ugo Umber played a fantastic match. His ability to, you know, he didn't fire two balls in the same direction at any point in this match. Cross court, down the line, cross court, down the line, forehand, backhand. It didn't matter. The serve was clicking. And we talked off, Mike, you've mentioned his ability to hit that body serve. So, so, so special. But Kyrgios beat him. Like 9-7 in the fifth. And he hasn't played a match since Australia. Yeah. I first of all, I feel so bad for Umber because oh. they they had to play in Australia. I mean, it stinks for him to 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 go through two five set losses to Nick, a focus Nick. By the way, you you just don't want to play Nick in the first two rounds, like of he gets Wimbledon, less... especially at oh, Wimbledon. Yeah. yeah, but also like those are the fast those are the fast slams. The mm-hmm. conditions wise, the fast mm-hmm. court slams. I don't care what Kyrgios has to say at the changeover. It's Wimbledon <laughs> and the Australian Open. And that's where Umber should be good, and that's where Kyrgios is good. So, you know, that's a shame for both of them. When it comes to Nick's serve, and and also I, I do think his forehand is a little bit underrated. When it comes to his serve, 
Also, all of the guys who serve as well as Nick are way taller than him. And I think that should be said as well, that this is one of the purest motions. Uh, he, you know, again, it is a thing of beauty. Like it's, it's a little bit when it comes to like the height factor it's a little bit sampras like and i you know it's kind of federer like also with how good that serve is compared to how tall he is so the only pushback i would have there is he's like me team slouch team bad posture and he's like actually six four like borderline six five so i would push back i mean he's got the size but okay i, I know he's but i agree short, with but- your point his contact it's beautiful it's like it's perfect. I agree that, with that's everything. That's Sampras' you said. height, though. Isn't isn't that Sampras' height, or was he was Sampras more closer to six three? Uh, I never saw past the eyebrows. Should, should we Google it? Yeah, <laughs> I gonna, yeah. I was gonna say hit the Google machine while I respond to your point, which is to say I agree with you. His ability to play plus no. one and on his terms, how tall is he? He's six two. Okay, so uh, so everyone was shorter in the nineties. So true. Pete was tall, but he was like six one. <laughs> So that's Roger's height. So Roger and Pete were both six one. Man, that's that's impressive. Their serves are so good. Yeah, no, exactly. That speaks to their contact points. But no, it's just so easy for Kyrgios. And you know, I, I sort of mentioned this in our opening uh, segment, but for Umber, for Demonauer, I think you come out of this grass court season actually feeling positive about your results. For Umber, he won the Hala title. For uh, Demonauer, to just get a title, where was it, Eastbourne, whatever, last week, and get a title back under his belt, and to be playing good tennis again, heading into his best portion of the season. I think both of these players come out of this grass court season saying, we made progress on the surface, bad draws, but we're well positioned to do damage again in 2022. Agree or disagree? Completely agree. Umber, you know, he's the real deal and he'll be around a while. I, uh, I don't know. Like clay is such an issue for him because of just how his strokes are and, how much he relies on on his serve, but I even think his clay results will improve. He's legit. He won't go anywhere. It's interesting. I just feel like he's such a good at, and he's another. By the way, Kyrgios, Umber, both team bad postures, so that's why they're two of my favorites. I I just feel like his game should work on a clay court, though, because of how he's able to open up space with his serve and just again that slice out wide on the ad or flat out wide on the deuce, like the. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm convinced the clay court's going to get better. Like I, I see all of the tools yeah. there to be a fine clay court player. He's never going to be exceptional at it, but I think he could be fine at it. Yeah, he just and it it's almost it's almost weird to say because you put him on a grass court and when the ball's coming quick, he's so good at redirecting and he doesn't look underpowered. But when you put him on a clay court and guys are hitting, you know, heavy and loopy and high to him, you realize that he doesn't have that much pure power, like especially on his forehand. Again, it, it's weird because on fast courts, you just it just doesn't you don't see it like that. But I feel like when whenever the court gets slow, it's like okay, like if you give Umber no pace on a clay court, he actually has trouble generating enough to to hurt you, kind of like a Medvedev. Mm-hmm. No, it, that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. That is interesting, and they're both just so unconventional, and I kind of like that about Ugo Bear. I like that he's different from the standard player you see coming up. That's one of the fun parts about this next gen of, of men's players. So many of them do so many different things, and, you know, again, 
This result speaks to the count of Nick Kyrgios. It is not a slight on Ugo Umber. He'll be back, but Kyrgios ultimately able to advance uh, to the second round. And, you know, now for Kyrgios, again, we'll see how much he has left in the tank as he takes on Jean-Luc Magier. He's a heavy favorite, according to odds makers. He did have, uh, you know, the rest of the day off, I suppose, only played a set of tennis. But, you know, he hasn't played since Australia you think he gets through Majer? You think he gets through FAA, makes a run to the round of 16? Or do you think that conditioning comes back to bite him? Yeah, I'd say he, he gets through Majer, uh, But ultimately, he's not going to have the durability to go past the... I mean, I don't know. I, I know quarterfinal is, is pretty far. But uh, ultimately, I think by the time he hits FAA in round three, if not round four... Uh, I I just think he's going to start to really feel it in his body, and that'll be the end of his run. And th- that's not new. That's not – I mean, it might be worsened by the fact that he hasn't played since February, but even when Nick is within the normal rhythms of his season, that becomes a problem. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I'm glad you actually bring up the term durability, Gil, because before we change topics here, talk about the upsets, the rest of the day three results, something that if you are someone who, you know, if you are a man, if you are a woman, something you always want to uh, take seriously, something you want to have be durable is all of your below-the-waist grooming tools. You don't want to turn to some shoddy shaver you bought at a 7-Eleven. You don't want to be on the run or you get lucky some night you're going to the bar, things are opening up across the globe, and you're like, oh, I didn't take care of what I needed to do, and now I'm embarrassed. I was lucky enough to bring someone home, but now I'm going to make a fool of myself. Luckily, Gil, our friends at Manscaped, they're going to take care of you, and maybe that's not something you have to think about anymore because you have the lovely Jenna in your life. You guys are committed. You you know, there are no secrets between the two of you anymore, but for those of you getting back out there, we're taking advantage of the opening, the fact that we're able to do things like go out once again, turn to our friends at Manscaped, the best in the business in below-the-waist grooming, Manscaped offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels, and in fact, Gil, they just launched their fourth-generation trimmer the lawnmower 4.0 there's no slip in when you're using the lawnmower 4.0 you heard that correct 4.0 you can join over the 2 million men worldwide who trust manscaped with their below the waist grooming needs you use our promo code new balls please right now at manscaped.com you'll get 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping on all of your manscaped needs again that's new balls please at manscaped.com 20 percent off and free worldwide shipping uh join the two million over two million men who trust their below the waist grooming needs with manscaped manscaped.com the promo code is new balls please i apologize gil i told you it was coming better or worse than you expected i love new balls please who came up with that (laughs) i don't want to say who because i'm so embarrassed that it wasn't me let me just say this because uh, of course I'm getting defensive. I'm not giving people credit. See, this is why they talk about me the way they do at CRHQ. <laughs> but uh, I was preoccupied. I was not locked in. This was during NCAAs, and so I was on the broadcast. I didn't have time to pay attention to the group chat between me, Jamie Dalton, going and Westoff going on in my phone, and fucking Dalton. 
who, like, every so often Dalton will do this, where he'll remind all of you, because Dalton's a f***ing nincompoop. Like, he really is. But then there are times when he's brilliant. Again, you're, there's no one you'd rather work with. The point being, I, I didn't, like, they said, hey, Manscaped coming on, we need a promo code. And Dalton goes, well, what about new balls, please? And then they kind of moved on and started talking about other things. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait. Like, when I finally had time, I was like, we're doing new balls, please. I was like, that. I was like, I am so jealous. Dalton, that's the one. You got it. He's a genius. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that story went about as you expected. Uh, I turned it into yeah, a slight yeah. of – I turned it into a compliment of myself. Notice how I was like the one who confirmed there. But to answer your question, it was Dalton who came up with it. It was his spectacular idea. Shout out to him. Shout out to our friends at Manscaped. With that in mind, we talked about the upsets already. But let's get, I suppose, slightly more granular. We're not going to break them down the way we did those first three matches. But – you look on the women's side. On day three, Madison Brangle, 6-2-6-4 over fourth-seeded Sonia Kennan. Alize Cornet, 2-1 over Bianca Andrescu. Kaya Yuvan, talented youngster, 20 or 21 years old. So I suppose compared to some of the other next gender, she's considered old. She's not a goth or a Tossin or, you know, uh, one of that guy's, a Kostyuk, but still very, very early in her career. Three and three win over Belinda Bencic. Let's start there. Three top 10 seeds knocked out, all of them in straight sets. That's a day, Gil. (laughs) Yeah. Kenan, um, Kennan is so it's so hard to watch this right now. Uh, it, it was as bad as it gets, I would say, uh, against Madison Brengel. Like the way that the way that second set ending ended was just so hapless. And you know, you just remember the the fighter that Sonia Kennan was when she was at her best, and just you know the the mental giant that was just determined every single point. I mean, she's so she's so far from that right now, but just because she's so dejected about her level, all, that's all I can really say is it's hard to watch her like this. She pulled out of the Olympics, uh, or she at least said there was a decision she'd be considering for a while, but she announced it following the match. And, I mean, yeah, to lose to a player like Brankle, who puts a ton of pressure on you for sure, makes a million balls in the court, but doesn't have an overwhelming weapon, you'd think that'd be exactly the matchup Sonia Kennan wants, and it would allow her time to get into her plays, her patterns, do all of the things she does well. She just didn't find that gear today. And so, again, with the context of her recent struggles— I, I still think this one qualifies as shocking, but it's not super surprising to see her lose in the early stages of this event. We talked about Andrescu earlier. I just don't really know what she looks like as a grass court player. She doesn't know either. And, you know, Alize Cornet has played a million grass court matches in her career, so that experience gap showed pretty quickly, and Cornet's playing some pretty good tennis right now. I already made the case for Kai Yuvon. I'm just saying keep an eye on Yuvon. You look right now in the rankings, Yuvon. Uh, currently, I believe now into the top 100 solidly uh, with this win here today. You look for her in the live rankings. Oh, number num- excuse me, the 20-year-old currently at number 109 but that's where you want to be when you're 20 years old she is in striking distance and again her the Claire Luz of the world the Katie McNally's of the world there are a lot of really really good 21 year old and younger talent who haven't quite broken into that top 50 yet but are going to and are going to fairly soon put Kaya Yuvan on that list now in terms of the other upsets we saw on the day 
you know, three set loss for Samsonova, uh, for Pagula against Samsonova. That match just featured fantastic tennis. Von Drusova, three sets over Conteve, Pagu, three sets over Martic, and then Maria Camilo Osorio Serrano, five and two over Alexandrova. Your thoughts on those other upsets? I know they were only 20 seeds, but. You know, again, the Vandrusova, the Begu, uh, especially the Vandrusova, I should say, and Osorio Serrano wins. Those do feel like upsets. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Vandrusova, what what I would consider a, a clay quarter versus Contavit, who, when I think of when I think of Annette Contavit, I think grass, just the way she plays, flat groundies, takes it early, aggressive, changes direction a lot, and uh, she she had the big run in in the week lead up to. Um, in the week leading up to this event. So I I don't know. It's almost to me like another case. And Vondrusova played well. She was serving big. I thought Contivate was having trouble with Vondrusova's serve. Uh, but it's almost another check in my uh, in my database of playing the week before a major can come back and be a bad thing uh, if you go deep. So uh, I don't know. That's just uh, – I, I keep seeing this, and I – you know, we'll see how Medvedev does, who played in Mallorca. And obviously, Novak was fine at the French after playing uh, Belgrade 2. But these are the top guns. I just feel like you have a lot of a lot of scenarios in the the upper midfield where they're they're winning the week before and going out prematurely in the major. Box, 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 upper midfield, box, <laughs> box, box. I heard it there. You knew, you knew it was coming. Yeah, 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 I suppose, yeah. Where Where is Van Drusseva on the grid for you? I suppose it depends on the major, right? Like French Open, she's perhaps top six qualifying if she has her best form and if the car is uh-huh. functioning correctly, the drop shot's working as it should. Um, no, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Samsonovas is good. And I mean, it's crazy because like you've, like again, how old do you think Ludmilla Sam- Samsonova is? I hope you haven't looked this up, but just top of your head, how old is Ludmilla Samsonova? I know she's mad young. Is she? Is she twenty? Mad young. You're mad young if you're saying things like that. Uh, I got to remind myself every so often. <laughs> Twenty-two years old is the Russian. Reaches a new career high of number fifty-nine with this victory. Twenty-two, Gil, and it's like. She's awesome. Like again, the power, the length. You know, I have a type, and she, like the the display. She had Pagula on her back foot, and credit to Jess Pagula, who played some great defensive tennis today, particularly on this surface. But when when Samsonova's ball is landing, it's just really tough to beat her. Yeah, and P- Pagula always makes you work. If you beat Jessica Pagula, you you earned it because she's not going to beat herself, and she's going to cover the court well, uh, and she. I really like her backhand on grass as well. So that's a that's a great win for mm-hmm. Samsonova. No doubt about that. Now, those were your uh, women's upsets. On the men's side, Query over PCB, Thompson over Root in five, Chardy over Carr at seven straights, Nik- Nishioka over Isner in five. We kind of talked about the first three. Nishioka over Isner in five. I know Isner slipped at some point during the match, but, you know, again— Great win for Nishioka. That was a fun one. I saw you. I don't want to say getting a Twitter tiff, but I saw you pointing out that you think the there's a that Isner is not actually that good on grass courts. I I hope I paraphrase that incorrectly. I hope I'm just painting you in totally incorrect light. But <laughs> anything to add on any of those men's upsets? Well, I'll I'll let's uh, address the Isner thing. <laughs> I just think people throw his name out there a, a ton. Um, and look, I think he was uh, like. You know, he was just outside of my top 10 power rankings. He was so, you know, I think he was as like uh, he would have been like number 13 or number 14. So 
that's not trash. Like I, I acknowledge the danger of John Isner on grass by virtue of his serve, but he's literally better at other majors. And I just think that everyone's antennas go up when it comes to John Isner at Wimbledon. And he's had one good season here. He made the semifinals once his recent losses include Mikhail Kukushkin include duty. Sela or big fans, but duty Sela and now Nishioka who hadn't had a single grass court win uh, in his career. I don't believe and the culprit is like Isner does not like playing off the ground on the grass because the ball doesn't bounce high enough for him. And we like to just ignore that and assume that Isner is some Wimbledon savant and he's most definitely not. His win percentage is better at Roland Garros. You laid out the metrics. I have nothing to add other than to say I freaking love Yoshi. Just <laughs> the, I don't think I've ever yeah. seen him frown. Like he's just no. the nicest guy. I got the chance to meet him when we worked this event in Vermont back in 2018, and it's great to see him have success. Anytime what do you think you have, of the earring? Oh, I'm I'm in on anything Yoshi wants to do. You just got to meet him in. He's so funny and. So my former podcast co-host, I hate saying former, but just doesn't have time to come on as frequently as he once did, Max Rothman, my doubles partner in college, has a big serve. Like he can hit – all right. I I once convinced people – so we were at a club tennis tournament. These are the early stages of the podcast when I was like, huh, I think I could maybe do this. Is I convinced everyone because he's got a – it really is a big serve, like 120. He can hit 130. It'll go in one every, one every six times, but he can hit 120 routinely. Um and everyone was like, oh, that guy's serve is huge. And I was like, yeah, we, and he's, he's a redhead. So it's like, yeah, we call him the Red Rocket. And everyone started calling him the Red Rocket. And it was just, it was delightful. Um, but anyways, uh, all of that is to say uh, we were in Vermont and Rothman was like, hey, like, can I just hit serves at you for this video thing we want to do? I want to see if I can ace you. Like, give me 10 shots at it. And when I say he missed the first seven, like, on the baseline, it was horrifying. But then on the eighth one, he actually aces Nishioka. And Nishioka's reaction, he, like, starts laughing. He's like, damn, that was pretty good. It was just it was a very fun moment. Anyways, all that is to say, great performance by him. He advances in five sets. That was one of, I believe, eight matches on the day that ended up going the distance. You look at it on the men's side. We'll start there. Uh, overall, you had five set wins from Gael Monfils. Took him three days, but he finally knocks off Chris O'Connell 6-4 in the fifth. You also had a five-set win from Christian Garin, 6-2 in the fifth over Zapata Morales. Five-set wins from Alcaraz, Giron, Kopfer, Bonzi, and Emer over Sanga as well. Your thoughts on the men's matches that went the distance, Gil? Alcaraz on grass, remember, remember oh, my Oh, I was hoping you were going to bring it up. <laughs> I'm curious what you thought of part one. I thought he looked great. Like... He's not there yet, and the serve Five needs to be bigger. Five sets over Uchiyama, good. Don't you dare back off of the take. I was devastated you might. I agree with you. It's still a work in progress, but it looked good. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm there. I'm still I'm still there. He, he needs to serve bigger, right? It's you know it's hard to do well at Wimbledon uh, if you're not going to serve well. Um, but I mean, yeah, and then he also has to get used to it. I'm telling you though. He comes forward well. The forehand is is he gets the power off so quickly. It's a pretty quick swing, which allows him to take the ball early. And the backhand is nice and flat, which uh, really rips through the court. It's all there. Now, decisiveness is key. And 
he has that. And when he wants to go big down the line, he finishes points. The drop shot plays well on this surface. Yeah, again, it's a work in progress, but there's definitely progress to be had. Those were your men's matches that went... Th- uh, shout out quickly to Mikhail Emer. I didn't... Uh, it's disrespectful. If you pick against Joe Wilfred Songa for, with money on the line, put a pox on your house. It's just great to see him play. Hmm. Don't benefit off the fact that he's not the Songa he once was. But Emer's damn good. Man, just rock solid off of both wings. Coat for Quan was really fun. Those are two guys who are going to be in the top 60 for the next five years. Marcos Girone has now played main draw the last eight Grand Slams. I think he's made second round in three of the last four as well. Given the double hip surgery he had early on to see him capitalize on his promise. So great to see. Uh, yeah, again, I, I think those are all fun five-setter on the men's side. Any final thoughts? Yeah, no, uh, I'm I'm really happy for for Giron, and that's a that's a good win over Rusevori on grass, who's a great ball striker and keeps the ball super deep in the court. I, I was impressed with that. I'm still a big Emil Rusevori fan. I feel like his stock has fallen off a bit since la- the end of last year. I've bought it all up. Don't worry, we're about to rise like AMC on the women's side. Svitolina, Bedosa, Kasakina all pushed to three sets. All end up winning their matches. Was surprised to see Cerebes Tormo knock off Konya in three, but she's just such a fighter. I'm just put a million balls in the court there. Ditto for Magda Lynette over Anisimova, though we learned Anisimova was fighting, I believe, a stomach virus before hand fun three set match in that when you also had three sets from Pliskova Hibino your thoughts on those matches Gil Kasakina um she's playing uh who's she Stanko playing? Uh, next. Ostapenko. yes 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 she's playing Ostapenko it's gonna be a fun one it's gonna be a good one because both of them have the potential to go super far I'm a big fan I know Kasakina says like her best results are on clay and I think she says she likes clay but if, if I watched her and I didn't know like what she prefers and like, let's say I watched her for the first time, I get some slight like Aggie Radvanska grass vibes <laughs> with her craftiness and her angles. And like, she doesn't really accelerate too much, but she moves well, defends and, and just kind of moves the ball around the court really nicely. So I'm a big fan of Kasakina and I want to see her. I want to see what she's able to do uh, on grass. A little Djokovician in the way she can play physical tennis on this surface and just changes yeah. direction so well, comfortable going down the line. I agree with you. I think that and they just played three sets in one of the warm-up events. So that should be a really fun one. We'll get to that match when we preview uh, day number four. But yeah, I mean, again, across the board, uh, Cerebus Tormo now has got Kerber. If you're Kerber, that you avoid Serena and Konya, the two players in your section with big enough weapons to maybe put you under some pressure. You're crossing your stars. You're saying things have broken right for her now. Again, Bedosa, small sample size of grass court matches, but her game does seem she has all the skills, all the physical traits needed to succeed on all three surfaces. So glad to see her win there. And I'm glad to see Svitolina get through, right? It feels like lately that's been a match she's lost. It's worth remembering. I think she was a semifinalist here in 2019. So, I mean, that whole bottom half of the top half of the draw is wide open. There's no reason Svitolina can't move through it, right, Gil? Yeah, I mean, I think belief in her is it feels like it's kind of at an all-time low because the the underperforming majors have kind of piled up but yeah von utvank is a is a tough one on this surface with the way she slices the ball and you know svitolina worked through it i mean the question is like can she 
can she punch up late in the tournament? Uh, but I, I wouldn't doubt her really. You know, I wouldn't doubt her ability to to make the quarter or the semi. I'd say I, if anything, I'm doubting her ability once she gets there. Yeah. No, I think that's completely fair. And, you know, again, uh, you look at her por- uh, for Svitolina now, she certainly has a relatively open portion of the draw. Next up, she'll have Magda Lynette, uh, then would play the winner of Putin, Seva, and Bedosa. So no big weapons for her before that round of 16. Definitely feels like she's got an opportunity to make some moves in that section. But again, those are your matches that go the distance. We'll breeze through the rest of these results. Seeds who won in straight sets on the women's side. Sviantek, Pliskova, Muguruza, Azarenka, Mertens, Pavlchenkova, Rabakina, Mukova, Jabur, and Keys. Gil, Muguruza's got that form right now. She looks healthy. She's dusting opponents. We already had the Rabakina conversation, but I would also throw just a flyer. Own Jabur's playing some fantastic tennis right now. Another second week seems very much in the cards for her. Your thoughts on how the seeds perform today, the rest of the seeds on the women's side. Yeah, it's fantastic to see Muguruza playing freely and looking healthy because I feel like we would have agreed, like if, if you talk to us, you know, pre Charleston, the the tournament when she she had the the tweak, um we would have said Sorry. what? She she <laughs> No, that's a funny way of framing it. You're right, but the tweak, that's good. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah. Um we would have said Muguruza Wimbledon favored after Serena, right? Uh, if you go back, thankfully we do enough of these podcasts, they're drowned out, and that's another recommendation for why you should go daily, but I'm on record saying I think she wins a slam in 2021, and she's only got two left, and so, yeah, there's no reason she can't do it here. That length, her ability to go down the line, her ability to play plus one power tennis, she can do a little bit of everything, and she's got the confidence as well, and yeah, I, I think she is starting to play. Again, there are four members of the top 15 club, top 15 in hold and break percentage, Sviantek, Sabalenka, Muguruza, Jabur. We're talking about two of those three player, uh, four players right now. Uh, I suppose three of the four, Sviantek, Muguruza, and Jabur, all advancing in straight set today. And then again, the the Mertenses of the world, the Mukovas of the world, they're having success week in, week out on tour. They're having success early in slams. This is how the development works. This is how you solidify yourself as top 20 players. I think this group of 25-year-olds are doing that right now, Gil. For sure. Uh, Muhova is another one that I'm, I'm definitely watching as someone who's, uh, whose variety and, and forehand and athleticism. I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm looking for her as someone who can go deep. Now, you know, I was also looking for Contivate and Kvitova, but you know, <laughs> that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, you can't be right about everything. Uh, you know, if you were, <laughs> I was going to take a shot at it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Gil. Who were who you were going to take a shot at me or someone else? No, please, someone else. I was just say if you were. Oh. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. I got it. Don't do uh, it. Don't do yeah, it. Hold on, just listen to my voice. You know who I'm thinking of. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, rest of the names: Stevens, Redisnow, Martin Sova, Burel, Georgie, Ostapenko, Sinyakova, Golubic, Tamjanovic, Vandeweghe, Putin, Seva, Sevastova, Kristea. All winners in straight sets on the women's side. Any of those names jump out to you in particular? Stanko, one and two over Leila Fernandez, and that's just Ostapenko's too long to say. I apologize, but Ostapenko, one and two over Fernandez. That's a noticeable scoreline. That's a that just proves her form is continued. 
Yeah, uh, for sure. And as is Camilla Georgie's win over Jill Teichman, six two six two. Completely agree. Like that, that is one that definitely will get your attention. Attention, because Georgie's got the firepower. It's just a matter of, you know, is she confident enough to be, you know, finding the court? Um, and that's a sign that she is. Yeah, and I mentioned this earlier, but Sloan Stevens to follow up the Kvitova win with a five and three win over Christian, who you should beat in straight sets. She's returning back to form. She looks a lot closer yep. to her best than her worst tennis. So good result there. Now you look on the men's side. In terms of the seeds, Djokovic, Rublev, Berrettini, Schwartzman, FAA, Dimitrov, Evans, Sinego, Hachinov, Fonini, Nori, Fritz, Chilich, all advancing. Shapovalov got the withdraw as well. But your thoughts on the men's seed? Anyone stand out in, for you in particular, good or bad? Great performance by Shapovalov today. <laughs> you like that? I You've highlighted it on the outline right now. Retired due to injury. I like that. That's good. That's good. We're not making light. Nothing against Pablo. We, it was just an opportunity. Nothing against Pablo, who I'm upset. Uh, every um, practice senior year, which was the year we won our title, Club Tennis, The Life of Pablo was the album we listened to on the way there. There you go. Uh you know, Rublev gets past to Tricky Harris, much, much more comfortable than the Del Bonis uh, match where it was a tight second set. Rublev dropped the first set and there were a couple of alarm bells going off. FAA, I'd put him in the camp of, oh, good scoreline. Way to go. No, uh, no shenanigans there. Um, and Dan Evans is now rolling. And I feel like he was on just this bad, bad voodoo streak at the majors, uh, three straight first round lo- uh, losses and and he's better than that so six three six three six four over Lajevic, uh that means that i feel like he's put that behind him it's so childish but i'm glad you're hitting puberty with those losses um <laughs> yeah it's uh no i th- that's a very good point and you look for dan evans his portion of the draw it does feel like you know again corda and him round three that's a fantastic match Ah. Uh, that might be one of the round threes of the tournaments. I'm locked in for that one. That should be super, super fun. But totally. he's going to throw junk at Corden, break his rhythm, and that promises to be a super fun match. You know, again, I put FAA on the list of contenders. He was in my top 10. I feel good about it after his first round victory. I'm glad to see Berrettini struggle a little bit, but ultimately get through. And then good win for Cam Nord to drop that first set, come back today, win the three sets they play, 7-5-6-2-7-5. Good win for Fritz as well. He had meniscus surgery three weeks ago. He's back on court beating Brandon Nakashima in four sets impressive performances across the board. Hatchnov needed to win that match. He did. Sinego, ditto, he does. The players who you want to see continue to make strides who have been good week in, week out, are continuing to do so. I thought that was super impressive. If you're an American tennis fan, by the way, straight set wins today for Kudla, Tiafo, Johnson, and Sebastian Korda. Good day. Like, I know Isner lost. Query beats PCB as well. Good day for American men's tennis. You also had straight set wins from Nishikori, Bedene, Ivashka. Fuchovic gets a two-set win after Vesely retires with an injury. Four-set wins from Galan, Vanderson, Sculp, and Gianluca Majer. Your thoughts on the rest of the men's results we saw, in particular those Americans. I mean, as impressive as Kudla was, as impressive as Johnson was, as impressive as Tiafa was— I'm all in on the quarter experience. The guy's just a f- stud. Yeah, he's so good. They, uh, it's like, what does he do? So, so I'm curious, and I, I said this on my live stream 
uh, today, I went through what I would say, gun to my head, Kudla's weaknesses are, or excuse me, Korda, Korda's weaknesses are. And and I came up with some, but I think the the point I was ultimately trying to make was they are so minute, they are not severe, they are nitpicks. So I'm I'm curious if I say, okay, what is what are Sebi Corda's weaknesses? What comes to your your mind? Uh, that he's not his sisters. That like they can just go <laughs> home on holidays and be like, well, we're number one in the world. What have you done? And he's like, but I'm only twenty. And they're like, well, um, no. I mean. The game know. is like, so that's the complete, thing. right? Well, he's good, not or he's fine, not great at volleying. It's like he knows when to move forward, but he's still not the best natural volleyer. But he's in the right positions, and the volleys are going to get better. I agree. It's like he can do a little bit of everything. The slice is more drive than it is finesse, but like he hits the slice well. He can hit a drop shot. He's comfortable moving forward. The serve looks good. Everyone's second serve can get better. No, there's no discernible weakness. That's the scary thing. Yeah, and at 20 years old, like all of these guys have had holes for the most part. I don't know what, which next gen or you can you can show me. And Kozlov. yes, like I think Steve Kozlov. Okay, <laughs> but you know, and, and yes, like there are some some of these these guys have done certain things more exceptionally than Korda can do anything. Like that is true. But in terms of who is complete. Who has that flawless, almost Djokovician game where it's like, hey, dude, like, what's your weakness? Like, Korda's the guy, and it's awesome. And it's just a mate. It just means that, and it this makes sense if you know anything about his upbringing, he got incredible coaching. Yeah, go read Ben's piece in the New York Times. He wrote about the Korda family with this particular focus on Sebastian yesterday. And I would say you could say that about Brandon Nakashima as well, but he doesn't have Korda's power. And, like, Korda's got that like element the- to him too. I don't love the the forehand. I, it's it's right. It's not. But it's not a weakness. Like it's just fine. Like I agree. It's not as exceptional as. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I get it. In the it's, context of this, I don't yeah, think no, it's that's on, fair. Yeah. Uh, to me, that's a oh, like why isn't Nakashima? You know what might hold Nakashima back? I have an answer, and it's the forehand. And for Korda, I'm like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like he moves well for his size, but his movement's sub elite. His serve could be a little bit bigger, but like, it's. It's fine. Everyone's serve could be a little bit big. No, I agree with you. I think that's a fair assessment. And again, you look across the board, impressive performance for him, follows up his win over Demon Hour with the straight set win over Huang. A uh, good win for Bublik, too, by the way. Straight set win over Kakushkin on this surface. But, you know, those were your day three matches that finished. You have two un- uncomplete, one on the men's, one on the women's side. Shelby Rogers up a set 7-5 on Maria Sakari. Roberto Bautista Gut up 6-3-6-3-6-7-3-2 break of serve on Miomir Kasmenovic. That leads us to day four, Gil. And we have, again, a bunch of second-round matches on the board. I tried to list my top five on the men's and women's side uh, on the outline you have in front of you, I would say for the women, I go number five, Mukova Georgie, four, Kerber Cerebos Tormo, three, Kostyuk Sevastova, two, Putin Seva, Bedosa Jaber, one, Kasatkina Ostapenko, men's side, Zero Sandgren, Fritz Johnson, Herkat Zirone, Bublik Dimitrov, and then my top match tomorrow, Medvedev versus Alcaraz. Your thoughts on the board, what you're going to be watching most closely? A good list 
the women might have the men beat. I, I will say this about the men's side. The the quarter that is formally the Tsitsipas quarter is where I feel like most of the intrigue is is focused right now. I just think that has been the the fun quarter. So obviously you only get that every other day. Um yeah, I mean, as I said, you know, the Kasakina, the kind of power against finesse uh, matchup, and I do believe that that could have implications going forward in the tournament. So that might be match of the day. Um, and I-, I think you're sleeping on Muhova, Georgie. Oh, see, every so that, often. We might be th- too light. This is why I bring you back, because at least once, at least once per pod, <laughs> you throw in a take that I'm looking for someone to be spicy enough to throw in, but I'm just not brave enough to do myself. That's the one. Yeah, especially the level of Georgie. She feels dangerous, Gil. Like, in this tournament, you look at that section of the draw for Camilla Georgie, who looked really good in making a semifinal in the week before this event. Like, if she gets through Mukova, would play the winner of Kristina Pliskova and Pavlchenkova, then would play the winner of a Putinseva bedosa lynette Svitolina quartet. If she plays her best tennis, she can win both of those matches. Like, and Mukova might be the toughest of the remainder to get through. And Georgie has a track record of going deep in a major, deeper than people might think when she gets hot. So we've seen it before. And yes, I think I think Muhova is talent wise and you know just just skill set wise, uh, still young, but has has everything you need really. I just want to say fuck you. Her and I are like the what? same age. He's she's still young. That's what you just said about me, Alex. You're you're still young. Um, you, isn't that a compliment? I don't know what no, you're, what are you complaining that, about. But right there now? was so much. <laughs> what about it? Sorry, there's, <laughs> there's so much. Right? Yeah, she's still young. It's like not really, but I guess I'll call her still young. I'm still young. Okay, okay. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean. It's funny because when I do these top fives, I like try to really be honest with myself and be like, okay, these two matches are on because there are so many good matches. Which ones are you honestly going to watch? I don't know if I can watch more than 10 minutes of Bublik Dimitrov, but I'm really interested to watch 10 minutes of it because like in 10 minutes, it'll tell me all I need to know about that match. But I do think that's like Bublik wins that match. I think it might be time to close the chapter on Grigor Dimitrov, top 15 player. Dimitrov wins that match. It's like, all right, it's not closed yet. I'll, I'll keep watching. <laughs> I uh, I appreciate that take, although I don't think Grigor is healthy enough right now to make that conclusion. It's fair. and that's as, why soon, I- as soon as he's healthy and losing, then it's like, okay, you're uh, you're on the decline, my man. We know Bublik is curious with work, worse press, but in terms of his actual game, top 30, top 20, thoughts? This surface in particular. More top 30 than top 20. Uh, the grass, I don't know that I like him a ton on the grass compared to the other surfaces. I just, I mean, I, I know he's got the serve, but I actually think from the baseline, he's kind of passive. Like, he kind of likes the heavy spin, especially on the forehand. So, I actually like his clay court game a lot. And I'm not, I don't really see him as a grass quarter. But he, I don't know. I, I could be convinced. Is he the evolutionary Jersey Janowitz? See, again, like, I just feel like Janowitz was, uh, Janowitz was more of like a, a slapper. 
Like he was trying to tree out there. Like I'm either going to hit this a hundred miles per hour or I'm going to drop shot. No in between. Bublik does that a little bit too. That like, I feel like if you just said that and we were like, who are you talking about? Players will be like either Kyrgios or Bublik. Okay. On the drop shot front. Yes. But I feel like Bublik, if you ask him to work the point, he'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll work the point. That's why it's evolutionary because he's just a more skilled version. It's like, okay, but in the <laughs> modern day, you have to be able to do these other things. He's like, okay, I can do the other things too. Okay. I, we, I, we can reach an agreement there. <laughs> okay. I'm glad to hear it. But no, again, across the board, and you maybe hate watching it, but everyone's going to tune into 10 minutes of Zero of Sandgren. Like you're lying to yourself if you say you're not, right? Because physically, that could be a fun match. I guess. What What is Sandgren... He I don't puts know. balls there's, in play. And like, I know, I know. And, I, yeah, I, it, I, I like that. At, at the U.S. Open, I think this might be a better match. But, I mean, obviously, look, everyone knows this surface is kind of about weapons. Yeah. It's fair. I'm so starved for, like, 15-shot rallies that I will be watching 10 minutes of that match. Because um, I'm okay. like, please. just And, like, it's in, this is why the parallels between Zverev and Murray were always acceptable to me because watching all of the Murray stuff, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I was attracted to Zverev early on in his career because it all feels the same. Like the tentativeness <laughs> in the big moments. I'm like, where do I recognize this before? It's like, oh, that's how I feel in both of these players' matches. Obviously, not as much uh-huh. anymore, but that that's the parallels. It's like you can do all of these things, and yet you usually just end up doing this. Yeah. Also, can I give you a, uh, my hipster dark horse? Uh, at Tennis Hipsters, get ready. Lay it on me. At Tennis Hipsters, look out for a fourth round for Ilya Avashka. Oh, there it is. <laughs> all right, make the case quickly. Give it to me. Uh, first of all, he's been winning a lot of matches he's on like every surface He's like 44 and 15 or something crazy, right, in his last 52? Yeah. Yeah, so the the confidence is sky high right now. And he's just he's got the big serve which will get you through or will at least really help you with, through the first 3 rounds at Wimbledon. And I, I like his I like his aggression. Like I like the fact that whether it's on his forehand side or his backhand side, if the incoming ball is not up to par, he is going to take a rip. And uh, he's in a very opportune area in the draw. If I can find it, uh, I can begin to make that case. Where are you, Ilya? Yeah, it's you know what? It's not a horrible case. I'm, I'm, a, I'm in on it. You know what? I'm, I'll join it with you. I'm in. Whatever we got to do. You look right now at the forecast for <laughs> Ilya Ivashka. Uh, again, he's got Chardy, then Nishikori Thompson, then potentially mm-hmm. uh, a Berrettini would be the round of sixteen opponent. They say he's got a 19.5% chance that trails Nishikori and Shardy. He's an underdog against Shardy tomorrow on Tennis Abstract, but he's in a favorite via odds makers. Fascinating. Yeah, I'm in. I'm with you. <laughs> fascinating. All right. That means it's time to end the pod. I'm in. What? That's um, fascinating. Yeah, no, it's it's one of those rare disparities. It's not often that happens. Usually they're in line. It is diff- interesting to see. But that's a respect for Ravashka's last 52. Oddsmakers have seen him have success. They're a little bit more unsure about Shardy, who, of course, pulled off an upset here today over Karatsev. 
Ooh, I like the way Shirdi's been playing recently. But Avashka's team size, and we know him all about the size. In solidarity with Arena Sabalenka, I'll take the Belarusian. I'll take Avashka. I'm with you on the bandwagon. Let's go. Um, but no, again, that's your day three recap, day four preview. Uh, obviously, Gil, I know you've had some time, and I want to let you plug everything as well. But any final thoughts on day number three? Any things you want to tell our listeners you've got coming up that they should be on the lookout for? Oh, man. Uh, let's get some sun on the All England Club. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the I, was like, I was thinking, like, where is he taking this? Let's get some sun. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to get tan over the next two weeks. Yeah, so if yeah. any of you listeners are watching, that's no, why. No, the very opposite of that. No tanning, <laughs> only inside watching tennis. Uh, but I do I do hope the players get a tan, and so do the courts, so that uh, we can uh, stop watching players go down. Anyway, um, yep, Monday match analysis, Gilgross on YouTube. Search it up and it'll it'll come up nice and easy. Monday match analysis on podcast platforms. The Twitter is at Gil underscore gross. And um, that is all. If Mukova and Georgie go three sets tomorrow, you have to do an emergency MMA and I'm coming on with you. No deal. <laughs> the algorithm though. Good try though. Good try. <laughs> no, Wincast at Keenan Ostapenko do go three sets. You're gonna ask me for notes and I'm gonna politely decline. Um no, just, uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um no again. I think you're right. Kaskina Ostapenko is your match of the day, but it should be a really fun day. And again, looking forward to hearing your Monday match analysis. Looking forward to three, 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 a tennis show. And looking forward, as always, you to having uh, having you back on the podcast again. So, Gil, thank you as always. Be safe. Be healthy. Say hello to Jenna. Tell her I apologize for including her in that Manscaped ad. That's on me. Uh, but obviously, <laughs> we will talk to you again soon. Thanks, Grosky. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.